Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. So before we get into things, there was one really cool highlight that I wanted to chat about um, that happened this week. So a couple weeks ago in our episode where we talked about Last Black Man in San Francisco, which was one of our favorite movies that we've seen recently and probably one of our favorite movies we've ever seen. We did our post about it where and we did a little audiogram where we talked about how it made us feel. And we tagged the director, Joe Talbot, and the writer and star, Jimmy Fails in it. You know, just to like just to see just to see what would happen. And <laughs> just to see what would happen. Yeah. Um and, you know, much like what happened with Fresh when we did this, where Mimi Cave and Jojo T. Gibbs saw that we posted it. Again, no like direct interaction or anything like that. But um, Joe Talbot and Jimmy Fails looked at our post, which was pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days. Somebody will actually say something back to us. They'll be like, hi. Yeah. We'll be like, we liked your movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... That was just like a quick little highlight that I wanted to mention right off the top. Yeah, um, they know we exist. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. Yeah, I love it. Um, also, just want to um, quickly just say thank you again to everybody that listened to our last episode with Jeremy, which we had a lot of fun doing mm-hmm. and enjoyed uh, watching all those movies along with him and thought we had a really great conversation. A long conversation. A long conversation. So if you listen to it, you're a real sweetie. Yeah. And we thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, but yeah, it was great. We had a lot of fun and there's been a really positive response to it. So it's been a, it's been awesome. Mm-hmm. But that's all my preamble. So why don't we get into the movies that we watched this week? Perfect. OK, so I picked the first movie of the week. This was kind of funny because when we did the we knew that we were going to have Jeremy on the show. It was a little bit of a different kind of situation than normal 
where we had to pick our our movies in advance and we didn't know if he'd have access to all of them. Mm. So we, you and I both had first picks and second picks just in case the first one couldn't be found. So the movie that I picked for our first movie of this week was actually my second pick for Jeremy for last week, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what I picked was the movie Good Time. It came out in 2017. I had rented this from the library and just kind of had it on hand and knew I wanted to watch it sometime soon. It was directed by... Benny and Josh Safdie. Um, and it was written by Ronald Bronstein and Josh Safdie. Um, it's starring Robert Pattinson himself. He's mm. having a hot moment right now. Mm-hmm. And he plays the character Connie Nikas. And then Benny Safdie plays his brother Nick Nikas. Jennifer Jason Lee plays Corey Elfman. Buddy Duress plays the character Ray. And uh, Talia Webster plays the character Crystal. So for those of you who don't know anything about this movie, just a quick little synopsis. After a botched bank robbery lands his younger brother in prison, Connie Nikas embarks on a twisted odyssey through New York City's underworld to get his brother Nick out of jail. So, I knew I wanted to watch this movie because I want to see Uncut Gems, but I don't really want to see Uncut Gems. Like, nothing about that movie actually appeals to me, but I know that it's kind of like, people really like it, it's having a moment, or it had a moment, it continues to have a moment, and so the Safdie brothers are kind of like on the radar. I really don't like Adam Sandler. Yeah. Same. Like point blank at all. Um, so I thought, okay, well, I like, I know I want to see Uncut Gems because it seems like an important movie to have seen, but I also don't want to have watched it. So maybe I'll just kind of figure out what the Safdie brothers are all about with an actor I do like. And that actor is Robert Pattinson. Mm-hmm. So that's why I picked this movie. It's also an A24 movie, I believe. I believe I think right. it is. So what did you think of this movie? So, yeah, I, I'm in the same boat as you. I was really stoked that you picked this because it's been on my list for a while. And I'm, yeah, I also want to slash don't want to see Uncut mm-hmm. Gems because I also think that Uncut Gems uh, is a part of the Criterion Collection now, too. Oh, really? I think so. Okay. So, yeah, like I didn't want to dive directly into that because of, yeah, the Adam Sandler of it all. But... Because like you said, Robert Pattinson is having a bit of a moment that this one was kind of starting to bubble to the surface for me. Mm -hmm. But in terms of what I thought, right out of the gate, this movie made me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But it was also super compelling. Mm -hmm. And it just kept me on the edge of my seat. I also just like couldn't believe what was happening Mm -hmm. throughout the course of this movie. As the plot began to unfold and as we went from scenario to scenario throughout the whole thing. It got more and more bizarre, mm-hmm. and yeah, that just gave me that like the kind of the Wiggins, and I'm just like, where is this gonna go next? This is so, ugh. Yeah, there's like, I basically thought the same thing that it, I was really compelled and really engaged, and it's this the movie has this sense of like forward movement no matter what, even when you want it to hit the brakes. Yeah, it's so f- it's not like the movie, but it is fast and furious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so last week you described everything er- everywhere all at once as kinetic. Yeah. And I feel like this movie's kinetic too, but it's like a furious kinetic yeah. that like you want it to stop. You're like, can you slow down, please? Whereas everything everywhere all at once, you're like, keep going, keep going, right? So they're kinetic in in different ways. And Robert Pattinson's character, Connie, is so unlikable. Yeah. But he is so magnetic that like you can't turn your eyes away from everything he's doing even at the same time as for me I was like are you kidding me like dude 
the things you're doing are so not okay, but I can't stop watching you. Yeah, Robert Pattinson's amazing in this. Like he's amazing at everything. It's true. Uh, not that I've seen that much that he's in, but yeah. But like his character Connie in this, while there's a part of you that understands all of the things that he's doing and why he's doing them in a sense, you just can yeah you continually ask why are you doing it mm -hmm. this way mm -hmm. what why why do we have to go down this path and you just yeah you get frustrated and you're just you're just so turned off by his actions and his decisions that he's making but yeah like you said that's such a great word he's so the character's so magnetic mm -hmm. where you just yeah you can't keep your eyes off of him it's so good so in my um research after the movie I actually hadn't, and I don't know, I could, it could be in the movie that they referenced the title. Did you catch them referencing the title at all in the movie? Um, I don't remember an exact reference, but I, I kind of picked up, after last episode, you and Jeremy had like a lot of like cool behind the scenes things. So I did a little bit of research. Oh, so now too. you know what it means. Okay. A little bit, but But did yeah. you understand that when you were watching it? No. Okay. So I didn't either. So post movie, and this actually helped me kind of reframe my understanding of the movie, um, I read online that good time, it's titled good time because good time is prison slang for a reduction in a prisoner sentence for good behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, and the directors, this is a quote from them saying the backstory is that Connie has behaved well in prison is released on his good time. And this is how he chooses to spend it. So, so what we see in the film, which I believe is just one night yeah, is like how he's spending his not stolen time, but the time that he's gained back that he wasn't supposed to have. Um, and that this is true also of the character Ray, played by Buddy Duress, who got out of jail early on good time. Um, and I thought that was that kind of made me reframe the film where I realized after finding out that this was the title that like prison permeates the film without it really being about prison. Yeah. And this kind of like prison industrial complex and prison systems and how they create these patterns of reoffending and leave these limited options for people post release actually is the film yeah and i wonder if that's a brilliance of the film that that's beneath the surface or if it's a failing of the film that it's beneath the surface because i didn't i personally didn't see that until i found out what the title meant and i and i don't believe although i could be wrong that that's referenced within the film itself right yeah I, and like i said i don't recall and that's yeah that's a good point like is it just is it something really like purposeful and that they want the audience audience to uncover or is it kind of like this like i don't know like this sort of like inside baseball kind of thing where they're like we know what good time means let's let's show like our version of it without explaining it to the audience or is it like what we talked about with starship troopers where you can you can watch the movie one way or you can watch the movie a different way yeah you can watch it as this like bizarre yes and things keep happening and it's just like a like it has that kind of vibe of like drive. Yeah. Where it's just forward moving and you like can't believe what you're watching. But if you also understand the reference to the title and and kind of get what's going on with Connie's character, you can also watch the film in another way. I'm I'm not sure. Like I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But in thinking about it post that, I think I like the movie better than I initially did once I like see this about it. Mm. Because as you know, but maybe not everybody knows, um, my dad had many run-ins with the prison system during my lifetime. Um, and that's something that I started to realize at a young age is our current systems just 
don't create opportunities for people to not end up back in the system. Yeah. And I see that now within the film itself. And there's certain aspects of my father I see in this character of Connie, this like magnetism and likability, but also this like lack of accountability and this choices that keep hurting other people and being unwilling to admit or face the fact that those choices are hurting other people. Um, and I think that lens now makes me appreciate the film in another way that I didn't see as I was watching it. Yeah. That's huge. Like, I, I think it's kind of cool that just upon learning more about it and kind of reflecting on that, that you were able to see that, that part of it. And yet there's something about the movie that like, I don't know if I just have this like pre thought out idea of who the Safdie brothers are, or, like what kind of films they're making, but I'm also just like, like what is their history with prisons and prison systems and that question of like who makes what movies which is going to lead me into talking about something that did make me really uncomfortable about this movie, which I'm going to call the I am Sam of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Which is that uh, Benny Safdie's character, Nick, uh, both has a cognitive disability and I believe is hard of hearing. Yeah. Which neither yeah. are true of the actor. Um, and I mean, we can look at a spectrum of non-disabled actors playing disabled characters from like, you know, the, maybe the most extreme end would be Sia's music. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, and certainly this character isn't that far on that lens, but it made me uncomfortable nonetheless. And I just had questions about, like, to what degree that, that was essential to the plot of the movie um, and to what degree, you know, these these people who are making the film have folks in their lives who have these um, disabilities and, and kind of, like, where that was coming from. Yeah. I'm w I'm with you on that too because we we start the movie with that character mm -hmm. right away. So you know, at the end of it all, I enjoyed the movie, mm -hmm. but it just starts off r immediately on that tone, and you're like, um, I, I don't. Know. Or at least we were right. Yeah, just a little uncomfortable in our skin. When I've heard, so I've you know, a director that you and I have recently kind of watched most of the films by them and we had never seen a movie by them before Sean Baker yep. who made um, Tangerine, The Florida Project and uh, Red Rocket. And I've, I've read criticism of his films because he typically casts non-actors, um, people who are from like the communities that he's working with. And often these people don't receive any roles past this. And so there's this critique of, you know, Sean Baker coming into these communities, making these films and then leaving. Right. Yeah. And to some degree, I kind of felt that in this film, too, a little bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 it's an interesting question that I, like, just don't have the answer to. There's something about Sean Baker's films that I find a little more appealing. And, you know, Red Rocket, there's some similarities between the main character in that and the character of Connie in some ways. And I've, I've often talked about Sean Baker's films as being, like, non-judgmental towards characters who are making poor choices. Where, like, there's just this neutrality that I think is is really interesting and I don't know that there's a neutrality in this. Like, I think we are explicitly supposed to see Connie's behavior as, like, not cool. Um, yeah, it was interesting. I don't know. It was interesting. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that you said. I actually think that's a really interesting just kind of insight and thought on dipping into a community of people to tell a story and then dipping out of it. Mm -hmm. um, I th Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I can appreciate why you might want to tell those stories or, you know, 
stories that aren't told as frequently from mm-hmm. those communities. But yeah, again, it just kind of goes back to something we've talked about a few times now is just like, is it your place to tell that story? And w- to what degree do you tell that story? And to what degree was it a collaborative process? Yeah, exactly. Um, which is just, I guess I don't know about enough about the Safdie brothers to, in particular, like when I'm saying that, like I see things in my own life from like my father's history with prison and how that impacted me. I see that echoed in the character of Connie in a way that actually is really meaningful to me. Mm. Um, and I'm just, I, yeah, I guess I'm interested in in maybe diving deeper myself into understanding the Safdie brothers connection to the prison system and how it's how, how their lives have interconnected with it, if at all. Yeah. Um, I think it's fair. I think it's fair to dive into. Um, can I talk about Robert Pattinson a little bit? Yeah, I love him. So (laughs) (laughs) So like I said, I thought he was amazing in this, but, uh, in my little bit of research that I did, I found out a couple things. So first of all, that this was the movie that Matt Reeves, Yes, I saw that too, which is really cool and also makes sense to me. Yeah, so like he saw this and that's what inspired him while he was writing the the script for the Batman. Uh, He was writing it with Robert Pattinson in mind as Batman. Mm -hmm. And that totally reads for me here Mm -hmm. um, just in his performance. But I also found this piece, which I thought was really interesting. So um, I, I got this from IMDb Trivia. So Robert Pattinson, I guess, lived in a basement apartment in Harlem for all of the uh, pre-production of the movie, as well as the entirety of the shoot. <laughs> and according to Josh, uh, Josh Safdie, one of the directors and writers of this movie, uh, this is this is a quote from him. All he did there was eat tuna and drop some weight, keep the shades down all the time and sleep in the outfits that Connie wore. I remember going over to his place and it was like a bombshell had gone off. Uh, Robert Patton and then Robert Pattinson said, I didn't let anybody visit me and I didn't take the trash out or change the sheets. So the entire place just smelled like rotting fish. (laughs) It's like, holy man. (laughs) Like, yeah, there's just like something about method acting that it just goes so over my head. I I wonder if you then heard I I had read that as well. And I was like, yuck, Robert Pattinson. Why? (laughs) But I read another interesting thing about this, which is that and you might have read it as well, um, that he got involved with the Safdie brothers because he saw a poster for one of their movies. Didn't even see the movie, saw a poster and was like, Mm. I'm into this, contacted them and said, I'd like to make a movie with you. And there's a uh, quote again from Josh Safdie where he said, I think the same person who thinks he can um, make the choices that Connie makes in this movie. I'm taking some stuff out to make it spoiler free. So I think the same person who makes these kinds of choices is the same person who contacts small independent filmmakers after seeing their poster from a movie. I mean, that's the same person. There's a mania to Robert Pattinson, a manic desire to conquer the world. Rob is constantly overturning rocks to see if he can find a worm to eat. He is genuinely interested in discovering things. He wants to prove himself to himself, and that is the best basis for good work. He always thinks he's not good enough. After every scene, he thinks he can make it even better. It is not for nothing that he takes on completely different roles. He wants to lose himself in the role. He wants to find his place in these very different places to disappear completely, and he said that very often. All right. Yeah. Checks out for like his like that vibes with what I saw in the lighthouse as well. Yeah. Like I love that. Like I love that Robert Pattinson is just like so passionate about the stuff that he does. And that I I don't know. As we've gotten older, we've become more proponents of if you want to do something, just ask. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, I saw your poster. I liked it. Can we make a movie yeah, together? I love that so much. <laughs> it's so great. 
it makes me like him even more. I um I really get a kick out of listening to Robert Pattinson interviews. Like <laughs> <laughs> he's so he's so charming, but, but like strange, w- weird, yeah. and like lost. It's it's great. It is really good. Do, so after watching this movie, did it make you more interested in seeing uncut gems? Less interested. Not really any change. I'm more interested. Yeah. Yeah. I. From what I've seen in like the one trailer I've watched of Uncut mm-hmm. Gems, um, I feel like it has more of the Safety Brothers sort of vibe, mm. obviously. But I feel like a v- the vibe that's kind of set out here in Good Time will also be kind of uh, pushed forward through Uncut Gems. So mm. I'm down to see more of it. I hope it's a little bit less problematic. We'll see. Mm. But yeah. What about you? Yeah, I don't know that it it makes me any more interested in seeing Uncut Gems, but I think I now know what I'm getting into. Yeah, that's Like, I think there's something about these particular styles of film that, like, don't appeal to me, even if they are objectively good. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show before, but, like, I never finished watching Breaking Bad because I just just didn't like it. Mm -hmm. Um, While at the same time being like, I understand that this is an objectively good show, that the plot is interesting, that it's wonderfully acted that the cinematography is great that as a whole this is objectively good i think i watched a season and a half or two and a half seasons and then i was just like i just uh, this show just isn't for me Uh, and then i watched the last episode as as well um and i feel that way about like mobster movies mafia movies like like there's something about them that just doesn't resonate with me and there's something about this that i can't quite put my finger on that that isn't resonating with me that like I only could appreciate in an an intellectual sense when I was thinking about it afterwards that wasn't hitting me as I was watching the film. And that's a cool and interesting experience as well. I mean, I totally get why some people really, really like the Safdie brothers. Like there's this, they're doing really interesting work and the the kineticness of this film, the magnetism of Robert Pattinson, like I said, in, in my, in understanding what the film was more about post film i i really appreciated how how they got that through um and yet at the end of the day this isn't a movie i really want to revisit yeah i agree like i wouldn't watch this again i I think something too that you kind of reminded me of is that i think that i'm more willing to take on a movie like this or an uncut gems or yeah like a, a i don't i agree i don't really like mob focused movies either but um you and I, as we've gotten older, we just we're not really interested in watching TV shows about unlikable people, particularly TV shows, because you're invested in them for so long. Yeah. Like, yeah. like Breaking Bad, like the main character is a terrible person. I watched one episode of Succession and I know people everybody loves this show, but it's just a bunch of unlikable people. Even we tried It's Always Sunny. And this is yeah, probably yeah. Like, we and we watched a fair amount of it. And, yeah. and that's the thing, like those shows are all objectively good. Yeah. So it's no um, no insult to people who like them. No. But there's just something about it that like doesn't work for me. A- yeah. At the same time that I know there's lots of things that you and I love that don't work for other people. Yeah, like I'll take a Parks and Rec, a Good Place, a uh, a Ted Lasso over most of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And like, and that's what I was saying too. Like I, I'm happy to watch a movie like Good Time or a movie... Um, that has a similar sort of vibe that and where maybe our our protagonist is maybe a bit more of an anti-hero um i don't know that connie's an anti-hero i think he's just a bad guy just a bad dude. yeah but well like, well it's trying to make us understand why he is that way 
Yeah, but I'm happier to like dip in for a movie and then I'm able yeah. to dip out and yeah. not make it like a five season commitment. Yeah, I wouldn't want to watch a show about Connie Nikas. No, like, I agree. Yeah. So all that being said, how did this movie make you feel? Felt like I was having a panic attack the whole yeah. time. Yep. Like <laughs> I just felt like my heart kept like I, I my heart kept getting beating faster and faster. Couldn't slow it down. And it just like stayed up the whole time. Um, yeah, it, it was it was an uncomfortable feeling the whole yeah. way through. It's a great way to describe it. Like I, I just have the thought I kept having is it made me feel anxious and it made me feel a lot of discomfort. But yeah, it's like a panic attack embodied. Yeah. And you don't know when it's going to end. Like you're like, I will I ever get out of this panic? And so, so yeah, like the Safety brothers are doing some really interesting things and the characters are really, really clearly drawn. Um, But there's just something about this movie that I don't think is going to stay with me. Yep. Yeah. I agree But I that. could see some people really loving this movie. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Totally. We went in a totally different direction for the next one. <laughs> yeah. So for our next movie of the week, my my first mystery movie pick of the week, I went with the 1987 smash hit, <laughs> The Princess Bride. Uh, it's directed by Rob Reiner, written by William Goldman, and stars very foxy Carrie Ellis and Robin Wright, as well as Mandy Patinkin and Andre the Giant, uh, amongst other amazing actors in this as well. But the synopsis for this one, if you haven't seen it, is in this enchantingly cracked fairy tale. Cracked? Yeah. <laughs> the beautiful Princess Buttercup and the dashing Wesley mm. must overcome staggering odds to find happiness amid six-fingered swordsmen, <laughs> murderous princes, Sicilians, and rodents of unusual size. But even death can't stop these true lovebirds from triumphing <laughs> where did you get that synopsis from i think i got it from letterboxd oh the one from imdb can i read it yeah go for it while homesick in bed a young boy's grandfather reads him the story of a farm boy turned pirate who encounters numerous obstacles enemies and allies in his quest to be reunited with his true love <laughs> <laughs> love that just like what what a movie yeah so fun okay so I picked this movie because you had brought it up a few episodes ago and it kind of reminded me about it. And then I've been watching um, quite a bit. of. So we talk about Criterion Collection quite a lot, but they have this really cool segment on their YouTube channel where directors, actors, uh, filmmakers get to go into what's called the Criterion Closet mm -hmm. at the Criterion Collection headquarters, which is essentially just a small closet that has all of the Criterion movies, and they just get to go on a shopping spree. They just get to grab whatever they want and however many copies of whatever they want. Yeah, this is a big goal of yours in life, to get to go into that yeah, closet. Yeah, I want to get famous from this podcast enough to be able to go into that closet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Princess Bride is actually a part of the Criterion Collection, which is pretty that cool. That is wild to me. Yeah, I, and I was... I was also curious if it if it holds up because I haven't watched it in quite a while. And I mean, like I've been watching this movie since I was like two or three years old and I loved it, watched it on repeat all the time. But the main another big piece of why I wanted to watch this was this has been a bit of a point of contention in our relationship. Like, yeah, like consistently. Yeah. Through the entire history of our coupledom so why don't you break down that contention but <sighs> okay. then and then tell me what you thought of it okay okay it okay so okay the princess bride so an interesting thing about you and me is we were born the same year grew up in the same town mm -hmm. 
start, went to the same school starting in grade 11, graduated together. So like we, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, we're 90s kids and we were open to the same stuff. But our parents are very different ages. So you're the first child in your family and your parents had you pretty young. And I'm the third child in my family. And my parents started having kids a little bit later, even with like my oldest sibling. Mm. And so because of that, a lot of the like older media or like the media not from when I was alive that I'm aware of is actually from the 60s and 70s. My parents were busy having my older siblings in the 80s and they weren't watching new things or listening to new music. So I don't I didn't grow up listening to The Cure and Joy Division and New Order like you did. I grew up li listening to like The Beatles and Jefferson Airplane and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Which you didn't. Not really, no. Um, and, and the same then goes for movies like I Terminators from the 80s, right? Yep. Like my family wasn't watching Terminator. We weren't watching The Princess Bride. We were, you know, what we were watching were, were more things that were even older than that. And so there's this interesting kind of childhood nostalgia gap between me and you. Yeah. Where like the music that makes me feel like a, like that, that makes me feel like a kid and think of my childhood is different from what it is for you. And same with those movies. We have a little bit of overlap, but mostly those are things that came out in the 90s. Yeah. And I think another like just as a bit of a side note, the reason I feel like a lot of the music I listened to was more recent is that my dad was actually a DJ for a really yeah. long time. So he was always on top of music trends That's and true. had the most the latest music so he could play it at his gigs and stuff like that. Yeah. And that just like wasn't on my parents radar. Yeah. So because of that, like the Princess Bride was just not a movie. I don't think I ever saw it as a kid. If I did, I don't remember it. And it wasn't something we certainly didn't own it. And it certainly wasn't on repeat in our house. But at the same time, this is so many people's childhood movie mm -hmm. that before I ever saw it for the first time, which was, I want to say, in a grade eight, grade eight class over several class periods. And I don't know if we were just watching it for fun or if it was like we were studying it. That I don't recall. Um, but even before that, I knew all the lines. I knew As You Wish. I knew Inconceivable. I knew My Name is Inigo Montoya. I knew all those things because ev I knew Anybody Want a Peanut because people quoted it all the time. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so... Just the way that like, and I've been guilty of this in the past, some people, and if you're like this, I love you anyway, not you, Elliot, the, the people listening. Okay. Yeah. If you're somebody who's like, well, I'm not going to like that movie because everybody likes that movie, which I, I certainly used to be like this. I think that that can happen when just something is so overdone to the point that I was like, well, I don't even need to watch The Princess Bride because everybody always talks about it. Yeah. But the first time I ever saw it was in school. And this was kind of the first way I saw um, any Star Wars movie. Like I didn't watch, I hadn't really seen the Star Wars movies until you asked me to watch the original three, the three that came out when we were kids. So all six of those prior to Force Awakens coming out, you said that it was really important to you that I'd be able to come see that with you and experience that for the first time. And I was like, well, I have seen like the prequel trilogy. I hadn't really because I saw them at birthday parties and I saw them at basketball wind ups. Mm. And so like you're talking through them, you're throwing popcorn at each other through them because you're like little bratty preteens. Right. Like uh, <laughs> um, so that was fun, though, watching all of those together and then having the payoff be The Force Awakens. Which yeah, is, no, like, it was pretty really awesome. fun. And we watched it with my brother, too, which like yeah. Star Wars had always been something really important to him. And it hadn't been to me, which is interesting. Yeah, it was fun. Um, so that's kind of the experience I had with The Princess Bride, where I was like, ah, I'd heard about it so much. I watched it in grade eight. And in, in my mind, I didn't like it when I saw it in grade eight. Mm. And then when we were like fairly early in our relationship, like what? A oh, couple man. years? Yeah. Because I think I, I don't was... even think we had I think we were still living at home. 
I was in, I think I was in like my first year of university. Yeah. So we were still living at home then. Yeah. We took a trip to Vancouver. It was the first trip we took together. Um, and Princess Bride was on TV at the hotel and you were like, oh, let's watch it. And I was like, I don't like the Princess Bride. <laughs> and I think it had already started, you know, as as it is when something's just on cable. And so we we sat down and we were watching it. And then I was eating strawberries and I spilt strawberries on my shirt. And it was a shirt <laughs> that I really liked. And then I was like in the bathroom trying to like clean the strawberry stain off my shirt. This is not an uncommon occurrence. I am such a sloppy eater. Sloppy baby. Yeah. And And then I couldn't get the stain out. And I eventually like just admitted that I wasn't going to get the stain out to myself. And then I sat there and watched the rest of the movie, but was like in my head really like Upset. unable to let go of the fact that I had wrecked this shirt. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so through that, I was like, well, I watched The Princess Bride with you and I didn't like it. <laughs> right. And you've been maintaining, I mean, that was like 10 years ago. You've like, you, you have been maintaining that I have never seen The Princess Bride. Yeah. Now, what I will say is that in watching it this time, I will admit that I both had never seen it and had seen it. Yes. <laughs> if, that, if that makes sense. Yep, I get it. Um, I don't think I had ever really sat and watched it with the intention of fully watching it and paying attention from start to finish. At the same time as the movie was playing, I was like, oh yeah, I remember this. I remember this. I remember this. But I don't think I really remembered the movie as like a complete whole. Now here's the wonderful, beautiful thing about our mystery movie picks. Or as soon as the title The Princess Bride came up, I was like, wah, wah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I actually think I said, oh, really? And then I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Check yourself, Kylie. Like, stop. And like, also, I I did not pick it out of like trying to, like you said last week, we don't pick things to try to like force somebody else to watch something. That's not, that was not my intention. No, I know. I just wanted to watch it. And yeah, like I knew that this was, you know, a great opportunity and a great night that we'd both be open. Yeah. <laughs> To, to watch it something like and so, so yeah when i went and i was like oh really i was like check yourself be open to it and be like this is a chance to to, to find out who's right have you seen it or have you not <laughs> um, and you know what okay so what did i think of it i thought it was really fun like yeah. it was it was sweet um i understand how you having seen this as a kid it's needled its way into your heart and it will never disappear yeah I don't have that experience with it. Mm -hmm. It is not a movie I saw as a child and that I will love forevermore. And it's pretty goofy. Like yeah. I'd love, I'd love to hear from somebody who saw this for the first time when they were older and they love it unconditionally. Cause I, who are you if that's you, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cause it's really silly. Um, and it was, you know, like I think there's just a, a difficulty with movies that are so overquoted as this, where I was like, Oh my, like, yeah, as you wish, as you wish, as yeah. you wish, inconceivable, right? Yeah. Um, but I tried to be open to the goofiness of that and be like, I'll understand the reference now instead of just being like, I've heard the reference. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you know what my favorite part of it was. What was it? Holy moly, Wesley's a dreamboat. Oh, like, yeah. whoa. Yeah, I, clearly I'd never watched this closely enough because I'm like, he is a total babe, total dream boy. I get why this is this like, and I mean, Robin Wright is a babe, too. Big time. But Apparently, this is her first movie. Did it say introducing? Robin Wright. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Well. Like, well, great. She did a great job. Yeah. And you can tell that, like, it seems to me, I didn't actually do much research on this film. We've had a busy week. Um, <laughs> it seems to me like everybody was having fun making it. Of course, sometimes that is not true. I mean, The Wizard of Oz has horror stories about the making of it. Mm. Um, 
so yeah, I actually, I thought it was fun. I thought it was sweet when I opened myself up to it and stopped being a grouch. I was just like, no, no, no. Like try, try and like this movie. And if you try to and you still don't like it, then that is fair. Yeah. But I tried to and I was like, yeah, it's pretty fun. It's pretty, it's pretty cute. It's pretty sweet. It has like a real grasp of like the lane it's in. Yep. And like it has some fun with that. So like, I think that's cool that like, like it's got that like Deadpool cheeky make fun of its own fantasy raw romantic love genre right yeah um which is fun that like even as a kid you were watching this like the subversively edged movie which is cool um but it will at the same time because i didn't see it as a kid i didn't love it as a kid it's it's not gonna sit in my heart the way it does with you yeah i think that's i think that that's fair because i know how important never any story is to you (laughs) And, and it doesn't sit in your heart the way it sits in my no. heart. No, and what's funny about that movie is that I had high school girlfriends who it was important to them who tried to show it to me. I fell asleep. So <laughs> I, I never... And, and you used to have a similar attitude about the never-ending story that I had about The Princess Bride. But you're time. like, I've seen it and I don't like it. But And I'm like, y- but no, it's so good. Yeah, well, you and I have watched it a couple of times. Yeah. And I think the last time we watched it, I actually recommended it that we yeah, watch it yeah. because it, it, it is fun. It's enjoyable. I, I enjoy watching Never Ending Story, but it's same kind of thing. It'll never have that little sweet space in my heart of watching it when I was a little kid or anything like that. So here's a bigger question. Yeah. Does The Princess Bride have a sweet spot in your heart, not just because you saw it as a kid, but also because like you are a bit of a hopeless romantic, I think. Yeah. And does the never ending story have a bit of a sweet spot in my heart because I love books so much? <laughs> I thought you were gonna say because you like dragons. <laughs> <laughs> I do like You just want to uh, cuddle if, with Falcor? Um, if my sister is listening, and I don't know that she is, but if she is, real missed opportunity not to name her cat Falcor. Yeah. Because uh Lily's got some Falcor vibes. Lily looks like Falcor. She's beautiful. Falcor's beautiful. Um if I had a cat that looked like Lily, I would name him. I would name that cat Falcor. Um, but yeah, I. Um, do you think that's true? That like you love the Princess Bride because you love love, and I love the Neverending Story because I love books. Yeah, that checks out. That checks out. Which leads me to another question I have for you. So this is my one gripe with the movie. Yep. And I am totally open to you explaining why this shouldn't be a gripe. Okay. So both the Neverending Story and the Princess Bride for people if you haven't seen one or both of them, have the narrative device of a kid reading a book, in the case of The NeverEnding Story, having a book read to him, in the case of The Princess Bride, and then we're going, you know, so we have these cutaways where we, like, hear the book being read, Mm -hmm. and then that kind of, like, leads into the film itself. I don't understand why that is necessary in The Princess Bride and how it adds to the story, whereas in The NeverEnding Story, the kid reading the book is an essential part of the plot. Mm. and from my the little bit of research that i did on the princess bride because it's based on a book and the fellow who wrote the book wrote the screenplay it doesn't seem to me and i could be wrong i could absolutely be wrong i didn't look that closely into it but it doesn't seem to me like a kid having a book read to him is part of the novel that the novel is just the story of wesley and buttercup maybe it's like a real subtle like ad plug for the book you know, because oh. the book came first. But then isn't that kind of schmarmy and gross? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're not going to try and convince me that that isn't a legitimate grape? Uh, I don't know. Like maybe it lends itself well to the to what you were talking about, where it is kind of like breaking the fourth mm. wally a little bit mm-hmm. where, you know, it, 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 it does 
poke fun at itself. I do love all of the like not kissing again. <laughs> <laughs> I think my letterbox review was like a kissing book, the movie. <laughs> um, Which is yeah, it's yeah. yeah I don't I, know. <laughs> I, I don't have a good argument for you as to why they do that, but so then can we say? In the tete-a-tete of the Princess Bride versus the never-ending story, the never-ending story reigns supreme. I'm uh, not willing to say that. Oh, no. wow. Okay. <laughs> um, Disappointing. But what I will say about this is that it's, uh, I, I think that why it still works for me and why it works so well, it's just like, it's slam dunk storytelling. Like it's, it is. it's, it's so, funny. it's so easy and accessible Yeah, and it stands the test of time because you've seen a version of this before. Although Mandy Patinkin is a, I was like, what is, what accent is he doing? And you're like, I think he's supposed to be Spanish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, yeah. There's some interesting 1980s choices in there, but yeah. the characters are so, I mean, they're so distinctly definable as their own characters that that's, there's something really appealing to a kid's movie when you can point to Inigo Montoya, you can point to, uh, Fezzik, you can point to Wesley, you know, and, and they each have their distinct kind of characterizations that you identify with or don't or it's, love or don't. Right. And it's so quick. Like I feel I can't remember the exact timestamp, but I feel like I read somewhere that you're introduced to all of our main characters in like the first 10 minutes. Oh, really? Interesting. And, and you immediately get who everybody is in this and it just sets them all up really well. Like it's really effective and time efficient storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. I get I get I think if you're somebody that's never seen The Princess Bride or you have a big stink on it like me and there's somebody in your life who really loves it, that it's a really beautiful thing to do for them to be open to understanding why they love it, even yeah. if it will never be in your heart the way it's in their heart. Yeah. yeah. There's a couple of things that I want to share. Um, so Inigo Montoya, growing up, he always reminded me of my dad. <laughs> What? The, the way that he looks. Why? Oh, the way that he looks. The way that he looks. Your dad had hair like that. It, like if you look at like old high school, your dad or, like, had junior hair like that in high school. It wasn't as flowy. It was definitely more like puffy. But it was long. It was yeah, it was longer. I've yeah. never seen these photos. Um, and then he had a mustache. Like my dad's always had a mustache mm -hmm. to some degree. So, but yeah, growing up, I'm just like <laughs> Papa. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. Um. So when we were the other thing I want to tell you about when we were putting our notes together, I like did a little like huh and put my my hand yeah, to my and I chest. Was like, What's going on? And I'm just like I read something really sad. And you wouldn't tell me what it was. No. You said I'm gonna tell you later. So I read this and like it's I'll, I'll just read it. It says when asked what his favorite thing about making this film was, Andre uh, Rusimov or Andre the Giant replied without skipping replied without skipping a beat. Nobody looks at me. He felt treated as an equal without people staring at him because of his grand size. Wow. Yeah, that yeah, is that's really real. sad. That's real. And he did he pass away shortly after this film was made? Uh, I, I don't know how soon after, but yeah, it's that's possible. I mean, there's a certain degree in this movie to which like everyone's a bit of an oddball, mm -hmm. right? And so he's not just played for that. While that is a part of who he is, well, that's really lovely that he was able to have that experience on the set and makes me happy that that's at least from his perspective what the set was like um, from what i read that was for everyone that was the kind of the experience of everyone it makes me so happy when i hear that like a set was a safe fun place to be and it makes me eternally disappointed when i like a movie 
cough, cough, The Shining, where that wasn't what the set was like. Yeah, I agree with that. On the flip side, I guess Rob Reiner always had to leave set for all the Billy Crystal scenes because he laughed so hard. <laughs> he felt like he was going to throw up. <laughs> Specifically throw up? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I uh, Rob Reiner is such a wild figure to me because I think of him, I think Misery. Right, yeah. Which I love. It's great. You showed, them, you showed me that movie. Yeah, did so, you like it? I loved it. It's so good. Yeah. One day I'll tell a story about how I betrayed my brother forever with that movie, and I think <laughs> he will never quite trust me the same again. Um, he, did he also direct Stand By Me? Am I making that up? I think that he did. Which also, that's a movie I'd like to watch again soon. Um, well, I want to make sure that that's correct. Did he direct? He did. Okay. Yeah. Um, but also he's Jess's dad in New Girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I like I think Rob Reiner and I just think of this like goofy, silly character that he plays in New Girl, where he's like such a sweetheart, but also like a bit of a doof. Yeah. Um, which checks out that he was the director of this movie and was having a lot of fun and making it a safe, fun place for other people. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So thanks for thanks for showing it to me and um Thank you to myself for stopping being a grouch for a second and being like, Let, let's let's try to understand what this person who means so much to me, Elliot, um, <laughs> what he <laughs> what, what he likes about this movie. Uh, I I appreciate it, babe, and I'm, I'm I'm I was so happy that you were able to enjoy it and and take it. I all, laughed a lot. You did. It was really. And fun. I talked a lot about how crush worthy Wesley was. Yeah. I was just like, oh my goodness, he's so such a dreamboat. What a babe. Yeah. Um, so how to make you feel? So when I opened myself up to the experience of this movie, mm -hmm. I will say it made me happy, it made me smiley, it made me laughy, and willing to admit that perhaps I'd been wrong and I'd I'd never really seen the Princess Bride. Nice. I'm glad we could put that to bed. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, yeah. <laughs> but for me, it just like it's it's just that way of a nostalgia. It makes me feel like a kid. Mm -hmm. This is like comfort food. Mm -hmm. Like this is just, you know, I know all the lines, I know all the beats, I know everything that happens and still yeah, it just makes me feel happy. And I think there's something really cool about like when we watch something that like I've never seen before, I haven't seen much and you've seen it a million times and I kind of look at you and I say, "Have you seen this a lot?" and you go, "Oh yeah." <laughs> it just even if it's not something I end up loving, it gives me so much insight and understanding as to like who you were as a kid. And, and that's, that's really lovely in itself. Um, but I came away from this being like, I'd watch it again. And it's, it is cute. It is funny. I get why people really like it at the same time. That will always be the never ending story for me. Yeah. Which is also a really good movie. It is. I, I, I love that we're able to show each other these things and yeah, gain that little bit, that little like peak, behind you know what makes us us mm -hmm. um and what we were like as kids and you know what made us tick and stuff but yeah i love it oh man okay so <laughs> we're this, gonna talk about it again <laughs> yeah this is a round two and i know we talked it to death last week but, but there's more to say there is much more to say why don't you set this one up for us kylie so last week we went and saw everything everywhere all at once and we just wanted to see it again <laughs> yeah we so we did we went and saw everything everywhere all at once again um, with our friend Ashley again. again. Um, Perry didn't join this time. He wasn't able to. So the three of us went. And yeah, so just I'll give a little intro in case you didn't listen to last week or you just want to know all the info again. 
came out this year. So it's a brand new 2022 movie. It just got its wide release last week. We saw it in the theater again. It was directed and written by two people who I'm just, I am all in for everything they do from here on out. The, they go by the moniker Daniels, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. The absolutely stunning cast of Michelle Yeoh as protagonist Evelyn, Evelyn Wang, Stephanie Hsu as Joe Wang, or Joy, Joe, <laughs> Joy Wang, um, and also Jobu Tapaki. Kihi Kwong, who is just phenomenal in this as mm. Waymond Wang, uh, James Hong as Gong Gong, and Jamie Lee Curtis as the disgusting, sweet, amazing, hilarious Deirdre Bo Beardra. <laughs> yeah. I just can't say enough about the cast. And so this movie, it's just like, just go see it. It's just so good. I'm not even going to go over the synopsis again. Like, just go see it. Don't even know anything else about it. Um, and we talked about it so, so much last week, so I don't think we're going to talk a ton, but there's a couple of things that just came up for this us this time that we like, we felt it was worth giving this movie some space again because it is such a phenomenal movie. Yeah. I, I, and again, yeah, you know, we might retread a little bit of ground of things we talked about last week, but for the most part, we just have more. Thoughts. We have more to say. Yeah. So we saw this a second time. What did you think for a second time? This continues to be one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. Yeah. It's one of the most unique movies that I've ever seen. And man, it's just, it's such a gift. <laughs> it, <laughs> like, it is. It is such a gift to like, the world. Like you don't, you don't get this very often. You don't no. get to go see a movie that does this very often. And and what a joy that it, everything it did for us the first time it did for us again. Because yeah. that doesn't always happen. Like you no. see a movie, you love it. You go to watch it again and it's like, oh, it was it was a one time only kind of thing. Nope. Yeah. I laughed as hard. I cried as hard. I gasped as hard. I just... But we came prepared. Ashley came prepared. <laughs> With three packs of Kleenex for all of yeah, us. Yeah, <laughs> she just has the movie starting. She just adds them out. So sweet. Um, so sweet. But another reason that I want to share a little story of why we went to see this a second second time, other than the fact that it's a, totally amazing, is that so we finally bought a home. Finally. Finally. Oof. Like so much Shout stress. Shout out to our amazing realtor. Oh, man. You know, yeah. If you, if you need a good realtor, hit us up. We we can hook you up in Edmonton. But uh, last Friday when we went and saw it, uh, is before we went to the movie, we went to the showing of the home, which is now ours. Mm -hmm. And just in this market, you need to move lightning quick to, to snap yeah, up if, anything you remotely if like. If something shows up and you don't see it that night, it might be gone by the next day. Yeah. So we went and saw it at 530. Our movie was at 705. So we saw it, loved it, started the getting the machine rolling of, you know, getting everything we need to put in an offer and everything. And our realtor, while absolutely phenomenal, seemed a little flabbergasted at our response of we will not be available between seven and nine thirty. <laughs> well, why? We're going, We're going to, to a movie. movie. And she's like, oh, OK, but you can like step out of the movie if you need to. And we're like, no, no we can't. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, yeah. Absolutely phenomenal realtor. Uh, and probably most people would be like, you're going to say I can't step out of a movie when I need to buy a home. <laughs> so because of that. So admittedly, we were probably the annoying folks in the movie yeah. who are getting notifications on their phone and and signing, <laughs> signing e, like e-docs and taking care of, you know, signing our um, 
our uh oh, what's it called like our uh, our offer our offer yeah. for the house and doing it you know trying to cover it up with our arms and doing it under the cover of that <laughs> all while the movie's going on so we're missing some little ch- chunks little but, chunks of the movie yeah. um and uh, i didn't tell you this but i was strategically because we both had to sign on our individual phones so i would let you sign and watch what was going on and when you were done i was going to sign so that if we did miss anything i could fill you in on what happened um so we were doing a bit of that so like our attention was slightly divided yeah but clearly like we still love this movie oh yeah didn't miss anything big enough to you know really soil the the experience well and i think i i think i told you so we both have apple watches and that was nice and that we didn't have to be constantly checking our phones like if our watch vibrated then we knew to check so there's a point in this film where things are getting like really you don't want to miss a second of it like mm-hmm. if you have to pee you're holding it at this section because otherwise you're a fool um and my my wrist buzzed and i was like well i don't care if we're gonna lose the house i'm not looking at my phone during yeah. this part of the movie and then it turns out it was just my group chat with my family and it was like i don't know sending pictures of dogs or babies or something um <laughs> so it was fine but i was like yeah i will lose out on this house rather than miss a second of the climactic part of this film Yeah. Which is how phenomenal this film is. Yeah. So, yeah, we both wanted to see this movie again, but also we wanted to see it without any distractions because we were we were doing everything everywhere all at once while while watching watching everything everything everywhere everywhere all at once. once. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But a couple of of points about seeing it again, too. Um, I I love that we saw it with Ash with Ashley, because as you said last week, like. I love how animated she gets yeah. when watching movies. She's a great movie buddy. We're um, we're pretty picky about like who we we'll watch movies with anyone, but we're picky about who we'll see particular movies with. Yeah. I would see any movie with Ashley. Yeah. She she's absolutely lovely. And like I said, she brought Kleenexes, which is great. <laughs> and home snacks, which was also very funny. <laughs> um but I also just I loved seeing this with an audience again mm-hmm. um, because like we mentioned last week, we had a really great audience and had another great one mm-hmm. seeing this one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's just that's there's something about, yeah, when you when you really love a movie and I think you've talked about this before, Kylie, like when you really love a movie or anything, you just want to actually I think Jeremy might have brought this up. You just want to show that person, mm-hmm. bring them into that and just be like, I love this thing. Like, I want you to love it, too. And so, there's like, this. Being able to watch other people experience yeah. it for the first time when you know all the beats that are coming is so exciting. Well, there's this like vicarious joy you get by mm. by watching other people enjoying this thing that that you that you love or being scared by this thing that scared you. And you know, there's a lot of lovely people in my life who just can't wrap their minds around how many times you and I have seen particular films. Mm. Um I don't know if we've mentioned this on the show. I think maybe we have, but I saw Pirates of the Caribbean Curse of the Black Pearl 13 times in the theater and mm-hmm. you saw The Dark Knight 11 times in the theater. Yes. Yeah, so like we and this was before we were we were close. So we were meant meant to to join forces at some point and be people <laughs> who will watch movies over and over again together. Um one of the reasons I saw Pirates of the Caribbean 13 times is I wanted to re-experience the first time vicariously through watching other people experience it for the first time. Yeah. And we did this have we talked about what we did with Spider-Man on no, the show? I don't think so. So we saw, so I'm a teacher, I'm a high school teacher, and there are certain things that I know if I don't see them immediately, TV shows and movies, they will be spoiled for me. Whether whether 
the the students are trying to spoil them or not i might overhear something in a hallway or you know i'd have to like skip work to avoid spoilers so we actually went to see spider-man no way home on the thursday night even though we would have preferred to see it on the friday because i'm like if we don't see it on the thursday it'll be ruined for me before we get to see it because students will be talking about it so we went and saw it at a third on a thursday and we saw it at the landmark theater in town because the cineplex like crashed when we tried to buy tickets so they lost our money um and it was a small theater it was like a 35 seater yeah and and we and i mean the theater the the audience was great but it was small and we wanted to hear the hoops and hollers and cheers and laughs and tears in a bigger theater. So we went and saw it immediately the next night mm-hmm. in a 150 person cineplex theater mm-hmm. um, just with each other. We didn't bring anybody else. So so we do this kind of thing. It was so fun to hear people laughing and to like anticipate that they're going to laugh at this next part. Like when a certain image comes up and, you know, people are going to laugh. It was It was a joy. It was an absolute joy. Yeah watch other people experience for the first time what, what we already are f- so in on totally and i agree with you too it still hit all the same emotional notes like i'm like maybe i won't cry as hard this time no i think i cry harder <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally which, which brings me to a question i want to ask you mm. without spoiling anything what what is it that resonates with you in this movie what gets you what do you think and and gets you not in a sense of like i gotcha but like what about this film reflects you back to yourself? I think that there's just this very human approach to love and relationships. Mm. And like you said, I'm a bit of a romantic. So like that kind of stuff also gets to me. Um, There's also a part that I wanted to share that I kind of thought of this time around that I didn't think about the first time that we saw it. And it just, I was, I really was struck by just the idea of communication within relationships, Mm -hmm. whether that be positive or negative. And it made me think of everything that's happened with my dad in relation to the family Mm -hmm. in that, you know, growing up, we like, I I never really talked about my feelings. Mm -hmm. Uh, none of us really did with each other. We never really expressed how we were feeling about things. So I never properly learned how to talk about my feelings. As a 32-year-old person now who has had a lot of therapy and, you know, had a partner like you and has, you know, had all, a bunch of different factors shape my world, I have since learned how to communicate about those things better. I'm I'm still not perfect at it, nor will I ever be, but it's something that I work on and Because of those conditions growing up, you know, my dad was unhappy for a long time. He never expressed that and it led him to being unfaithful to my mom and our family, which totally blew up everything. It blew up what I knew of him as a person. Mm -hmm. It had me questioning who I was as, you know, this person that modeled what a good man and human being is. I modeled my life after that. Now it's like, well, who am I? Mm-hmm. Like, is everything I've modeled my life after a lie? Mm-hmm. Is it like, is it wrong? Like, it threw me into like this sort of downward spiral. I took you with me on that mm-hmm. spiral and it really affected our relationship. And it was all because my dad could not communicate mm-hmm. what he was feeling and how 
evidently unhappy he was in the relationship with my mom and and you know maybe in the bigger picture too of the being in the family Mm -hmm. so there was a bit of that in the in everything everywhere all at once that made me think about that and reflect on that but you know that it's stuff like that that coming on the other side of it has made me so again grateful for our relationship in that that's the kind of work that we put in Mm -hmm. intentionally and purposefully and continue to do because it's so important and if you want to have something as happy and healthy as i i think our relationship is it's a lot of fucking work Mm -hmm. and i'm so happy that we both feel like that's the work we both want to put in yeah that every day we wake up and we choose to do that absolutely so yeah that was like a big takeaway piece for me this time um but something else that i've been reflecting on a lot especially after seeing it the second time was the piece that jeremy talked about last week about being being tethered yeah which has like really stuck with both of us i think and resonated with both of us and just like you know that that idea that you and you and i kylie you and me like we were always going to be a part of each other's lives in some mm-hmm. in some respect much like um much like we see in the movie like I, I won't get into spoilers or anything but i just i love that in you know an infinite number of universes you and i are always going to cross cross paths and be important to each other yeah in some way or another um and i i just love that i love how jeremy put it last week and it's just been sitting uh, deep yeah, within my I heart i love it that's a word that i will probably like use forever more is this idea of being tethered to other people and i think there's movies that explore the whether it's the idea of the butterfly effect or, or multiverses that actually ha- have more of a like nihilistic point of view where it's your life would be completely different and no one would be the same and nothing matters and there's no consistency in the universe whereas this movie has Another approach, which is that there are some fundamental markers that will continue to exist. There's something intrinsic about who you are and also who these important figures in your life are that that will defy the multiverse mm-hmm. and that will show up no matter what. And there's a line that I can't say, a scene that I can't say without spoiling anything from this film that just, when I see this particular scene, I think about that is the reason why you are tethered to me. Like why I need you tethered to me. Mm-hmm. I can't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I can't spoil it, but I, I, yeah. And then, then, then when I thought about that, that layer on top of this, I, that idea on top of like watching the film, I'm crying even more. And I think that's, what's just so wonderfully beautiful about this film is I just feel like there's something in here that will resonate with everyone, regardless of who you are, your history or where you come from, because I can't even imagine what this movie means to people whose parents have immigrated from other places, mm. which that's not an experience you and I have. But we have friends we grew up with. Like we have, have a mutual friend whose mom immigrated from Denmark, um, like prior to, to our friend being born. Um, one of my closest friends growing up, her parents had immigrated from Hong Kong, you know, and and I feel like we never talked like those friends they were two people i was really close with we never talked about that Mm. we never talked about how their relationships with their parents may be different from my relationship with my parents because of our unique contexts um and 
how meaningful this film must be to people who see themselves in that in a nuanced way, mm. in a way that's not just stereotypical. Um, at the same time, while I don't have parents that immigrated from, from uh, somewhere else uh, prior to me, I do feel this distinct generational difference. In, in my relationship with certain members of my family and the mother stuff, mother daughter stuff in this movie just wrecks me. Yeah. And I see aspects of, of my relationship with my mother reflected in this and particularly like something that just really, really gets me emotional in this film is the exploration of queer daughters and their mothers. And I don't have the same experience as the character of joy for many reasons namely because I'm in a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. But some of the things that happen between Joy and Evelyn in this film just so reflect fears that I have had about my mother understanding parts of who I am and continue to have those fears. And to see that like reflected through this movie is both so beautiful and also like really emotional for me. And so I just think how amazing that this movie can be about really particularly resonant things that must mean so so much to the people who haven't been able to see that on screen before and yet also have these things that can relate to almost anyone in the theater in some way yeah it's amazing i i, I don't know how the daniels did this no it is I'm this is a feat it is beautiful it is like you said it's a gift this film is a gift yeah that i am so grateful i got to to have given to me i'm so i'm so happy that the daniels went like they went from making music videos, which we didn't... Cool, music videos we, too. I, like, we didn't know that. We started doing a bit of a deep dive on, on the Daniels and watching some of the music videos. Like, so simple, but so cool. So cool. And then you see that the cool, the cool stuff they were doing in their videos. Like, this movie is cool. Very This movie cool. is cool. It's a visual buffet. Like, this is like getting to go, this is like getting to go to the Sunday bar and put whatever you want on your Sunday. <laughs> and you put way too much on it and you, you almost can't finish it, but you're like, I am eating this Sunday. Like, it is. And then you throw up and then you keep and, eating. And, and then you more. make another Sunday. Yeah. Like, it's so, it's so good. This movie is so good. I just, like, last week we talked about if there is someone out there who's watched this movie and didn't like it, who are you and why? And you're wrong. Yeah, correct. Which we will almost never say. Because we respect people's rights to have their subjective experiences with films and nobody has to agree with us. Um, we're just two people talking about our thoughts and feelings, which may be different from other people's thoughts and feelings and even are sometimes different from our own thoughts and feelings. Like there was a chance that when we watched this movie, we would think and feel differently about it. And if anything, it just made me fall in love with it even more. I am in love with this movie. Yep. Same. Um, so what, what a treat to see it again. Um, we have... Uh, three really close friends that we we want to see it. I want to see it again with them because I want to watch them laugh. I want to see what makes them laugh. So we're gonna probably go see it with them in the next couple of weeks, mm -hmm. and we probably won't won't talk about it at extended length again. But we felt like it deserved it deserved some space. So second time around with everything everywhere all at once, the phenomenal film by Daniels. How did it make you feel? To quote Jeremy, it made me feel everything everywhere all at once. Um, it made me so happy to see the theater full of people again. And I hope that, you know, this is a, for all intents and purposes, this is a pretty small movie. This is an independent film. Um, I hope that it stays in theaters for a long time and that lots of people get the opportunity to see this on the big screen. If you haven't, I, I highly recommend if you're able to, if you're, if you're, if you're able to make the trek out to a movie theater and you're comfortable doing so. Yeah, absolutely. 
please go do that. It's so it's so great. Like I said, this is one of the most unique movies I've ever seen, and it'll be one of my favorite movies forever. Um, yeah, forever. yeah. I just have. We said this last week, but it made me feel everything. It is. It's so uplifting. It's so heartbreaking. It's so funny. It's so life affirming. It's so goofy. It has so much heart. And it was just as good a second time. And I just love it so, so, so much. Yep. That's all I can say about it. No, that's perfect, babe. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, the next movie, uh, what can compete with everything ever all at once? It's uh, it's not fair to that movie to, to follow, follow it up. <laughs> but I had a movie that I had taken out from the library a while ago that I was absolutely shocked isn't on any of the streaming services that we have. Mm. Um, so, it's been sitting kind of hidden on our back shelf so you wouldn't see it for a while um and i decided that we would watch crazy rich asians which we had never seen before it came out in 2018 so it's fairly new and i'm but i'm surprised we didn't see it in theaters at the time it was directed by john m chu written by peter chiarelli and adele lim and it's based on the very popular novel uh by kevin kwan so it stars some people we like um constance constance Wu plays more, more like constance woohoo <laughs> I know that you love Constance Wu. Uh, mm. She plays the character Rachel Chu. I would I would call her the protagonist of the film. Um, Henry Golding plays the character Nick Young. Michelle Yeoh reappears as a very different character. Back as to the, back, baby. As the matriarch Eleanor Young. Uh, Gemma Chan, who I also think is a total babe. Um, and we saw way back for the first time in the TV show, the BBC show Humans. Um, she plays Astrid. She's now in Eternals, so happy to see she's in getting more stuff mm -hmm. and then aquafina plays uh pecklin go um the synopsis for this film is this contemporary romantic comedy based on a global bestseller follows native new yorker rachel chu to singapore to meet her boyfriend's family boom yeah i yep. just i picked this because i feel like it's just an important movie we haven't seen um and I have a, I just have a big list of movies that aren't on streaming sites and I check regularly for them at the library and it was at the library and it seemed like a nice, fun, easy movie to watch. And that seemed like I, what I was in the mood for. So what did you think of Crazy Rich Asians? So my initial thought was, you know, I'm, I'm happy we're watching this, but th like this doesn't break the mold no. in any way. Like it's a very typical kind of rom-com kind of formula, mm -hmm. but I am so happy that this exists. Mm -hmm. Um, I have, I, I have a number of Asian folks in my life that I remember when this first came out, they were so stoked on it. I remember hearing that they went to see it multiple times, them taking their, their parents or their family members to it just because like they're seeing themselves up on the screen and in, in like this movie that's becoming a bit of a blockbuster, like tons of people are going to see this movie and I was just so happy to see the joy that it was bringing them and that they were so excited to see this movie. And yeah, it, it was, it, but this movie, it, it was a lot of fun mm -hmm. and like, it's just like a really easy watch and you, you need a bit of those, mm -hmm. um, to just like balance, balance out all of the, the inland empires and, <laughs> and the mall and drives of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with this. This, this was just like, this was really fun. And, Seeing yeah, Michelle Yeoh again, like like I just I'm I'm glad we're seeing I I want to watch more from movies because mm -hmm. she was absolutely incredible in everything everywhere all at once, and yeah, Constance Wu I've had a crush on her since we started watching Fresh Off the Boat and the, I, this probably had a bigger crush on her than this yeah she's, just she's like so babely she's in like this. a punky goofy 
indie kind of Constance Wu instead of a matri- uh, a, a mom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, it was great. But a big takeaway for me from this was actually like the set pieces were gorgeous. Yeah. Like the, the shots they were getting and like um, these quote unquote crazy rich locations where uh <laughs> there were there was there was something to behold they were pretty awesome they also made me feel a little sick though uh, yeah i get like, it i get it i i'm not like i get so i agree i had a lot of fun with this movie um i'm glad that we watched it and if we're not really people who love rom-coms we'll watch them mm-hmm. like we're not like anti-rom-com but they're not our favorite genre I could totally see why some people just like love this movie. Like it's mm. the the story, like Rachel Chu's story is one I like. Yeah. I, like I liked her story, but the the wealth part of it, I'm like, oh, the fact that people live like this while mm. the rest of us don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Like it's just, I, I'm not somebody that really likes to watch anything about super wealthy people because I just feel, I feel a little sick. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's just it just kind of blew me away. Uh, but Constance Wu was so charming in it, Very so charming. lovely. Loved her character, and uh, happy to see Michelle Yeoh in something. She's not as nearly as likable in this one as she is <laughs> yeah. in everything everywhere all at once, but she's great. Um, also love seeing Aquafina. Aquafina is really funny. She is funny. I you know she she does play kind of a similar character. I mean, with the exception of um, the farewell. Yeah, like the farewell awesome. is like to Aquafina, what Eternal Sunshine is to Jim Carrey, or like Punch Drunk Love is to Adam Sandler. Like, yeah, it's yeah. it's and and I tend to like when I see a comedian or somebody who typically plays a comedic character like shedding that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love the farewell. Um, you know, so people give these kinds of movies that are like it's a movie we've seen before, but with some diversity in it. Mm. Some people give it a lot of crap where they're like, oh, if uh, if this wasn't with the diversity, then nobody would like it. And I'm like, well, first of all, I do think like don't look at the fact that this is a a movie that doesn't just star white people. In fact, is there even a white person in this movie? Mm. Not in the main cast, I don't think. Yeah, like, Maybe on know. like an airplane. <laughs> yeah, like maybe some extras when they're in New York. Yeah. At the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but like, I think you take that aside. This is still a good rom com. Oh yeah. And so, screw those people. Um, but like, I'm here for it. We're gonna keep seeing rom coms that don't break the mold. Again and again and again. So let's have those rom coms that don't break the mold star some new people. Oh yeah. Like, the movie that this makes me think of is Coda, mm-hmm. which we watched and I really liked. But one of my first things I said after we watched Coda and we watched it uh, pre Academy Awards was like, I've seen this movie before. Yeah. And I said, th- and it does a really good job of the movie I've seen before. Like, it's one of the better versions of this movie that I've seen before about a teenage daughter who doesn't fit in with her family and has big dreams. And there's a teacher who inspires her and she's not sure if she wants to follow through with those dreams. Like, we've seen that story mm. many, many times. It does it really well. And I am here for telling that story with folks who are definite. Yeah. Like I'm here for it. Who give incredible performances? Oh my goodness! Like the um, the fellow who plays the father, a hundred percent deserved that Academy Award. His performance was phenomenal. Oh, and yeah. anyone who tries to like take that away from him and say that he just got it because he's deaf is an absolute asshole. 
Yep. Because his performance is phenomenal. And I don't think you have to be in the best movie of the year. And in fact, I don't think Kodo is the best movie of the year. I really mm. want to drive my car to win. Same. Um, I don't think you have to be in the best movie of the year to have given the best performance in the category. Mm-hmm. And I totally thought he deserved it. But um, yeah, people who want to give movies crap for like not breaking the mold and then getting praised for diversity. Like, I don't know what to say. We need more diverse movies. Yep. And until we until we have diversity across the board, we need to keep doing it, I think. And I am we've talked about this before, but I'm so excited to see different kinds of movies made by different kinds of people, whether they're breaking the mold or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can see everything everywhere all at once that also stars Michelle Yeoh and totally breaks the mold and then see Crazy Rich Asians the next day and enjoy both of them. Yep. Um, totally. So, yeah, I mean, aside from the fact that you are very always crushing on Constance Wu, how did this movie make you feel? Uh, like I said, it made me happy that it exists. And there was... so. At one point in this movie, there's a non-English cover of the song Yellow by Coldplay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that song rules. That's like one of my favorite songs ever. And it was actually one of the first songs when I was first learning how to play guitar. I was going to guitar lessons. It was one of the first songs I was I was taught how to play. That and How You Remind Me by Nickelback. But I, <laughs> I don't talk about that one as much. Um, but so when I when I heard that, too, I had a little bit of a, like a nostalgia wave, which was which was kind of nice. It, it did what it was supposed to do, which was like have that song that like makes you feel the the feelings it wants you to feel. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, yeah. Got me. How about you? Yeah. I thought this movie was fun and easy and I will definitely see the sequels. Yeah. Like I'm not going to watch this movie on repeat, Mm-mm. but I don't watch any rom-com on repeat except maybe she's the man. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I haven't seen in ages, but uh I, I will see the sequels and I and I thought that everybody did a great job and I, and I, I liked it. I'm with you. And there. if you like rom-coms, you should definitely watch it. Absolutely. Get into it. Okay. I am so excited for you to talk about this last <laughs> week. I can't wait to talk about this movie and I can't wait for people to watch it. Hopefully uh, I want to convince people to watch it. Okay. So it's a bit of an oddball. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. <laughs> um, so I chose the movie Good Morning. Um, it's from 1959. It's directed by Yasujiro Ozu, and um, oh, I didn't get the I didn't get the writer on this one. So uh, Yasujiro Ozu wrote it as well as Kogo Noda, not to be confused with Koganata. Yeah, <laughs> but you, you made that joke, and I was like, really? Koganata was alive and old enough to write a movie in 1959. <laughs> <laughs> no, switch one, switch one letter there, Koganoda. Um, and it stars so many people who are really great. Nobody famous that i mean at least that i i, that I think I would that know. some of these people are famous in japan but um but in 1959 yeah um, yeah 1959 japan so famous. many people that are great um but it really focuses on our two heroes these two <laughs> boys uh masahiku shimazu who plays the character isamu and koji satara who plays minoru um this the one sentence synopsis for this movie <laughs> which is so perfect Two boys begin a silent strike to press their parents into buying them a television set. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they so do. So good. Okay. So I chose this movie because this is another one, like going back to those Criterion Closet uh, videos I've been watching on YouTube. So many of the videos that I watch and so many of the people in them pick this as one of the top movies that they chose to talk about and feature in these videos. It was just picked over and over again. So, and it's been on my list 
because, you know, I just went out to Letterboxd and I was doing, I, was, I wanted to dive into the highest rated, some of the highest rated movies. And this was on that list. So I threw it on my list. But what tipped me over the edge and to be like, no, I want to watch this this week is that Stephen Young um, from Minari and The Walking Dead. And, and also of my boyfriend fame. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and from I want to kiss you. Um, this was actually uh, he did a top ten favorite movie list with Criterion, and this was his number one movie. So I'm like, all right, all right, I'm in. I want to watch it. And a little funny side piece. So I was like convinced in my mind for some reason that you wanted to see this too, and like you were like you really wanted to see this, and you were as stoked <laughs> on it as I was. You had no, no. idea what this movie so was. You had. You had tried to convince me to let you steal my my night of picking. Mm -hmm. And you were like, I just really think that we should watch this. I really think like you really want to watch it, too. And so I was like, well, my movie would make a good matinee. Let's like let's watch my movie in the afternoon, which we did. We watched Crazy. Ri well, I think we kind of watched mine at seven and yours at ten. Mm -hmm. um, it's a double feature night. And then when this came on, I was like, I have never heard of this movie. And then you were like, what? I thought you wanted to see it. And so I was like, well, maybe... Maybe it came up on list and I have it on my watch list. No, nope. when I looked at Letterboxd later, it wasn't even on my watch list. I had never heard of it. Had no idea what it was. So we're like, had no context. I'm like, good morning. What the heck is good morning? Well, it was funny because when the when the title card came up that said good morning, I was like waiting for you to be like, oh, cool. <laughs> and I was just but it's like, like, it's like good morning. I'm, I'm like, I just look at you. I'm like, good, good morning. And I was like, is that the title? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so I had never heard of it. Never heard of it. Um. So, you know, then I went in, I'm like, oh, okay, this, <laughs> this, this might not go the way I was thinking it was going to go. Um, but what'd you think of this? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I loved this movie. It is, it just delighted me so much. And like, who can say that about a movie from 1959 that it's delightful? Oh my goodness. It is just so funny, but like bizarro funny. I don't think I've heard you laugh that much in the movie. In a long time. Other than everything ever all at once. I mean, you laughed a lot in that, but I feel like there's more laughs in this movie be just because it's a comedy. But this is like, this is my kind of humor. Like uh, this movie is not everybody's kind of humor. Mm -mm. This is like the two things this kept making me think of was Wes Anderson. Mm -hmm. Like it's got that kind of like Wes Anderson, like what's the word for just that? Like the way that characters speak to each other in like Fantastic Mr. Fox or like Moonrise Kingdom or Grand Budapest. It's kind of like matter of fact. Yeah. Like it's just the line delivery is so straightforward that mm. like it's funny, but also some of the blocking and framing in this movie was very like there's a, a shot where um, Minoru and Isamu, who are brothers, are like both laying down on the ground. They're, they're wearing the same outfit for like almost all of the film. <laughs> this like great outfit like just so just this little sweater it's like a beige sweater with like a white line white blocked line on it and then a red line in that and then they've got these jeans that have this like really big brown um like like patch that probably is like the brand um on the back of the pants so they're they're dressed the same the whole movie isamu is just like so tiny um adorable literally the cutest character ever depicted on film and isn't annoying often cute characters are also annoying did not find this character annoying at all mm. and he's just like he he's always echoing what his brother says and he's following him around and there was this shot of them both on the ground with their legs up on like a desk with like one leg bent and the other leg straight and like uh one in front of the other 
And I was like, this looks like a Wes Anderson shot. If Wes Anderson hasn't seen this movie and been inspired by it, I, I don't know. Because this is decades before a Wes Anderson film. Um, so I was so impressed at how like modern the framing, the humor, and even the way the story is told felt. Yeah. Like it felt very modern. Often I go back and I watch a movie from the 50s. I haven't seen a lot of movies pre-50s, but a 50s or 60s movies. And there's a certain amount that I have to will myself to understand that the way the story is told is different from how we tell stories now. And it might be a little slow. Mm. This was like that slice of life kind of movie. Um, that's just like bizarre and hilarious and beautifully framed. Some of the parts that were in um, the bar actually reminded me a lot of the like lumber mill scenes in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> like the um, with the fish in the coffee pot. Is that what it is? Mm -hmm. Like it just it had that kind of like bizarro like adults just like laughing and saying weird things to each other but like the kid stuff kind of reminded me of like a moonrise kingdom or a um but then on top of that i think you're gonna know what film i compare this to mm -hmm. which is a movie that you showed me for the first time and i actually loved which is interesting because we just talked earlier about like not being able to love a movie you haven't seen when you're a kid which is a christmas story so a christmas story when you showed it to me for the first time i was like this is my humor like i love this movie it is hilarious it's now a movie we watch every Christmas and then every Christmas feel very unfortunate about the final scene. Mm -hmm. A Christmas story wishes it was as good as this movie. Yeah. Yep. This movie is so much better. Like Bob Clark stole this movie, set it during a holiday and then had the audacity to be racist towards Asian folks at the end of his movie. How dare a Christmas story. <laughs> Shame on you. Yeah. Like this movie, if you like a Christmas story, then you should like this movie better. Yeah. Yep. Other than the fact that it's not a Christmas movie. It's not a holiday <laughs> yep. movie. But yep. like, so there's no holiday. It, like a Christmas story is barely sub a out, Christmas movie. Sub out the Christmas for just a lot of farting. <laughs> there is so much farting in this movie. And it is so funny. Yeah. Like, I mean, the movie's book ended with farts. Yeah. And, and poop. And a kid shitting his <laughs> pants. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's spoilery. I wouldn't say that that okay. weighs too heavily on the plot. No, that's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I love the way that it's, this is like a very observational movie. Like, like things are just kind of happening and there's kind of three plots going on at once. There's like, there's, <laughs> there's like, there's a plot where like, so it's, it's set in this like a, uh, like suburb complex in Tokyo with like these houses that are all the same and they're very close together. And the like women are part of like a women's group that like has to pay dues but like the dues didn't get sent and then they're all gossiping about like who stole the dues <laughs> uh, and it's so funny and and then there's like this other kind of plot um with kind of the like 20 to 30 year olds about like like how do you what happens when you're single like yeah. you know <laughs> and then there's the kids who are just like they're kids so they're like farting and wanting tv sets and you know, and it's about how like this film is so much about how we the stage that you're at in life often makes it difficult for you to understand the way other people communicate when they're at different stages in their lives and their priorities. Right. Mm -hmm. So like when you're a kid, you don't understand typically don't understand like the adults in your life's priorities or how to communicate with them about yours and vice versa. And this film actually says some really thoughtful things about that in just an observational way without like having to hit you over the hammer with hit you over the head with a hammer about it. Um, and the things it's saying about the different priorities and ways of communication that differ between like kids, people in their like 20s and 30s 
adults who have children and then like the elderly still feel very true in Canada in 2022 as they do in Japan in 1959. Yeah, totally. Like this film felt so modern and fresh to me and it is not modern at all. No, no. Uh, and like, I love that Ozu made this movie because like I, this is the first Ozu movie that I've seen and that you've seen, but I guess apparently like he's mostly made black and white dramas and this is mm -hmm. only like the second movie he's ever made in color. And it's a comedy. And so when I went back after you were like, well, I thought you wanted to see this movie and I realized it wasn't on my list. And then I looked at what else Ozu has made. A lot of his movies are on my list, like a Tokyo story. Yeah. Like that I've, I haven't seen yet. I want to see. I know that they're influential films. I'm so glad this was the first movie. Me too. I also think it's going to not prepare us for what the rest of his movies are like. <laughs> yeah. But like, oh my goodness, this movie is so awesome. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. And that like Isamu is the singularly cutest character that has ever existed in cinema. So great. And like the other thing I just wanted to add on to what you were saying too. I feel like they do such a great job in this movie of just showing community mm. and the little cracks the that, cracks can, and that can happen within yeah. within a small community. Yeah, totally. Especially. Um, it does a great job of showing sibling dynamics oh, yeah. <laughs> really well. And, like, and friend dynamics. Friend dynamics and like and um like kid parents. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah, like strangers that are trying to make like a love connection, <laughs> teacher student, like so many different dynamics are shown and like feel so true to real life yeah. in this. Uh of course, like heightened for comedy, but it's it works on multiple levels. This this was so this was so great. Oh, I will I would like to buy this on Criterion. So we watched it on the Criterion channel. We streamed mm. it, but I would like to own it and I would like to watch it like at least once a year. Yeah, it's it's great. Like it, maybe just replace it, like just watch this at Christmas and be like, who cares? Screw you, Bob Clark. Yeah, <laughs> and it's uh it sparked some uh some real good inside jokes for Kyle. Oh yeah, now. I am I yeah I'll be referencing this movie through particular body language for the rest of my life yeah um so how to make you feel babe this film just made me feel so delighted that's great like i i have a big smile on my face while talking talking about it i had a big smile on my face through the whole movie it was really good i i uh, i had never heard of it and i i would guess that a lot of people haven't strongly suggest that if you like slice of life a little bit bizarre observational humor um you go watch this movie and if yeah. you're okay with farts yep big time have to be okay with farts i i echo all of that i think that you know given the plot twist that you had no idea what this movie was <laughs> i was very happy that you loved it as much as you did it delighted me to see you laughing so much and that <laughs> and that it brought us both so much joy mm -hmm. um and you know like something i was i was kind of reflecting on is just like so many people now are just get so so up in arms about you know they say comedy is dead and that you can't make any jokes anymore just because of like post me too and in such a pol hyper politicized world that we live in now etc 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 i just like i think that there's just some really good comedy that can be done without needing to be offensive or without needing to be i think like, some people are offended by farts oh well those people are wrong uh, yeah <laughs> don't, don't watch this movie yeah 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 it's but yeah this this is a great example of like this is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my life, but in such a like sweet way. Yeah. No. It's so good. Uh, please go watch this movie and then please tell us what you think of it because it's so good. It rocks. Yeah. So great. Okay, babe. It is that time. It is that time. Let's do it. 
Let's name this week's bad dad and rad dad. Hit me with your bad dad nomination. And this is a, like this is a bad dad week. We both revealed a little bit more about why our dads feel like bad dads to us sometimes. Peel so. back those layers. Yeah, the layers will keep being peeled. Um, yeah. My bad dad nomination of the week is Robert Pattinson's character of Connie Nikas. The reason for this. Yeah. Did you nominate the same person? Yes, I did. Okay, <laughs> so he's going to win. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I will tell you my reasons. Uh, he has bad dad energy and I do not want him as my father because he is selfish. Mm. He hurts other people without a care for how it will make them feel in the long run. He is manipulative and he's unable to see his own role in the things that happen and take accountability for the harm he causes others. Yeah, I think that that's perfect. Yeah, I I, I echoed a lot of the same things. And yeah, just like, you know, putting him in the scenario of if he were my dad, yeah, yes. He tries to help me out and to, you know, get me out of a situation I don't want to be in. But he goes about it in such a selfish way yeah. that it ends up possibly even hurt, hurting me even more. Yeah. I think that's the most dangerous thing about him is he thinks what he's doing is right and he refuses to be reflective and take accountability. And that is a dangerous thing. I don't want a dad who does that. I've had a dad who does that. Yeah. So uh, Robert Pat- Pattinson's character of Connie stick it get out of here buzz off okay rad dad nomination i'll let you know who i picked okay i picked fezzik under the giant interesting choice from princess bride okay tell me why um he's just so gentle mm-hmm. he's so sweet mm-hmm. he's also patient mm-hmm. like he's he's in, he's in no hurry to you know do anything he's and he's, he's willing to listen to me and what i need um, I just think he's a big old sweetheart and, you know, and he's kind of willing to do anything for me. So he's somebody that I'd be happy to have as a dad. I hear you. I mean, he originally was trying to kill, kidnap somebody, but <laughs> I hear you. I have a different rad dad pick. Um, mm-hmm. my rad dad pick is Aquafina's character of Picklin in mm-hmm. um, in Crazy Rich Asians. My reasons for this is she will call you out for your crap, but in a loving way. Mm-hmm. Um, she's goofy and she's fun, but she can become serious and supportive when that's needed. And she knows when she needs to call in for extra support mm. and will be on your side no matter what. Yeah, I think I think I'll acquiesce to that because you're like, I feel <laughs> I feel like Aquafina's character just has more layers and is a little bit more dimensional. <laughs> It's dad energy. Big time. <laughs> Big time. I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying about Fezzik, but I also think Fezzik like, originally was a criminal. You know. Not that criminals can't be good dads, <laughs> but I mean, I don't really want to be kidnapped. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay, cool. So Aquafina, your character of Peck Lynn, be your dad. dad. Um, I have bonus daddy oh is it constance woo yeah (laughs) (laughs) of course it is you don't have a bonus daddy i I always forget about the bonus daddies i have lots of crushes um but i always forget that we have this additional little thing we can do with that i thought for sure you'd be picking pretty boy carrie always from but he's princess bride he, he doesn't quite have that energy no i don't know he is beautiful (laughs) <laughs> so is Constance Wu. Yeah. So you can have 
that nomination. I'm okay with that. All right. Constance Wu. Woohoo. <laughs> Constance <laughs> Woo Woohoo. Okay. Uh, so before we dip out of here, we're going to hit you with a rad wreck of the week. And the rad wreck of the week is the artist, singer, songwriter, Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah. We, He's my bonus daddy. Lo- <laughs> we love Phoebe Bridgers. So she actually just dropped a new single called Sidelines. Uh, she hasn't dropped a new, anything like brand, brand new uh, since her second album dropped in 2020, Punisher, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Her first album, Stranger in the Alps, is incredible. also incredible. And we just have this like big connection with her because the first time we, we moved into our first home that we bought together um, is when right around the time Punisher came out and Stranger in the, and we were listening to a lot of Stranger in the Alps and those albums just kind of put us back into that that time of excitement and you know, aspir- like being inspired and feeling aspirational about where we're going with our home and like starting a, this well, new I mean, new chapter of our lives together. I have so such distinct memories. Um, we've been talking a lot about our friend Ashley because she's one of the best human beings in the world. The best. Um, and she was she was a big part of when we moved into our, our place that we're about to leave within the month. Mm-hmm. Um, there were two rooms in the, in our in in the the house that we live in right now that that we're moving out of that were this like disgusting like Nanaimo bar yellow mm-hmm. and um we we brought Ashley in to like help us paint them and uh you were like building furniture with my brother or, like unpacking things and I Ashley was helping I, I say helping in quotation marks from me uh us paint the rooms when like I was just a nuisance and was bad at it so I think for most of the time we had one or both of the Phoebe Bridgers albums playing on like a speaker in the in the hallways so that you could hear it and we could hear it and I would just be laying on the floor in the room while Ashley painted. So <laughs> yeah. I just like I think of Phoebe Bridgers and I think of this really exciting time that we had support from a lot of our friends and family and particularly from Ashley. She was just such a, a lovely, helpful person that was so excited for us to have this home and is still excited for us and understands why we're moving. Um and then I just, I hear those songs and it brings me back to that time. Yeah. So what a beautiful and strange thing that as we're going to move again, this new single's out. Yeah. And it's quickly becoming just the soundtrack to our lives right now. <laughs> you just keep listening to it on repeat. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. So good. Um, so yeah, that's Red Wreck. Um, Phoebe Bridgers recommend just going, listening to uh her solo stuff she has a few other projects uh, mm, as boy well. genius is so good boy genius is is incredible um uh better oblivion community is that what it's called i think so with community connor Center? or whatever his name is something like yeah. that can't remember but also great i mean i know most everyone already loves phoebe bridgers anyway but just a reminder to maybe go back and listen to her again if you're not already please do all right, so thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. It's, we're still absolutely loving doing this and excited that you're along uh, with us on this journey. Um, you can follow us and slide into our little DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad. You can also get a sneaky little peek at what we've been watching over on our individual letterboxed accounts. Links to those will be in the show notes. And we would also super appreciate it if you could drop us a rating, review, or a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. It would help us out a lot. It'd also help us out a lot if you could just share this out with anybody in your life who loves movies, podcasts, or both. But that's going to do it for this week. 
of Bad Dad, Rad Dad. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad is dead. I'm Elliot and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember. Not all dads have to be bad. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.